Mac Power Users, episode 343, Workflows with Serenity Caldwell. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside my pal David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? I am outstanding and uh, quite excited about our guest today. So it's been a while since we've had Serenity on the show. I, th- I think it was back when you were um, still working at Macworld. I know there have been quite a few changes uh, since then. Uh, we're really excited to talk to you about some of the stuff that you're you're doing with uh, Mac and, and iOS. So we're happy to welcome you back to the show. I'm happy to be here. It's always exciting talking to you guys. So you're now uh, over at iMore and and Serenity, you put so much content out. I am always just so amazed at how <laughs> impressive you are. Oh, thank you very much. I feel like I'm constantly like running in place to try and keep up with Renee because I'm pretty sure the man does not sleep. He puts out like 25 articles a day. It's a little crazy. <laughs> the man does not stop. <laughs> he is nonstop. Yep. <laughs> You guys put out quite a bit of content over there at iMore. And, you know, I've got to tell you, more often than not, when I'm Googling for something about how do I turn this on or how do I activate this or I need to find a quick how to on something for someone, you're always at the top of my search list. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. It means we're doing our job right. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you were always. So you're, <laughs> you're writing a lot of these. I know. Have you, have you had that experience yet where you have some kind of tech problem? And you Google how to solve it and you find an article on how to fix it and you wrote it from like three years ago. Yeah, I've had that a couple times. Yeah, I've done that too. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, right. Senility is kicking in. The, uh, I, uh, two, okay, two things. Number one, gang, if you haven't checked out iMore for in a while, you should because they've done something really brave. They've, they've taken it from an, you know, a very on the spot news site to, we're going to make you better Apple user site in a lot of ways. And and certainly you can correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but it feels to me like you guys have made a conscious shift with the content, which is right up the alley of Mac power users fans. So num- that's number one. Number two is since Serenity went over to iMore, I feel like somebody has kind of taken off the, you know, taken off the governor on you and they've just said, okay, just do whatever you want. Cause you are doing such <laughs> interesting bits of content. You did that review and we're going to talk later about you as an artist. But one of the things you did is you reviewed the Apple pencil by drawing a picture. And, um, I just really like the, the interesting way that you're taking on this coverage. And I like the content that you guys are doing over there. So, um, so, uh, thank you for, for really shaking things up. It's my pleasure. Honestly, it's been one of the things I love about working at iMore is that there is very much a uh, a feeling to kind of experiment and do, you know, not necessarily what's in the status quo, but do what you think is just going to be really great content that people will really respond to. Um, and, you know, it's a I, I feel like because the the company that I work for and, you know, the overlying structure of mobile nations, they're much more um open to the flow, I think, of the modern internet and the world of modern publishing, which is to say, you know, uh, sometimes there are companies who work in this in this field who are maybe they take, you know, they have committee meetings and, and board meetings and, you know, it takes six months to change one feature. Whereas I feel like with us, it's very much like, oh, this isn't working. Okay, let's try something else. Oh, you know, I have a great idea. Um, we, um, I don't know if you saw this. We partnered with Jonathan Mann. I was just going to bring that up. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Jonathan Mann, of course, who does the wonderful song a day, uh, series, 
Uh, he and I spoke together at the Yosemite conference by CocoConf, and I mentioned to him offhandedly, I'm like, you know, it'd be really fun. Maybe we should see if we can collaborate on a song for I'm More, because that might be like a cool idea. And he's like, yeah, that, that would be fun. And then we didn't talk about it for four months. And then, of course, when the iOS 10 thing came around, I'm like, hey, Jonathan, how do you feel about and originally I pitched him iOS 10 as the Animaniacs, like countries of the world song. Oh my God. <laughs> Where I just like, how about you try and cram all of the features on the iOS 10, you know, shot, shot sheet into a single song. And after thinking about that for like five seconds, I'm like, hey, all right, so that would be funny. But actually I think what I really want you to do is to do a review of iOS 10 um, within a song. And he came back like three days later with pretty much the finalized lyrics as you hear them in the video today. And then we had um, the wonderful Micah Sargent, um, who's on a couple of other Relay podcasts and um, is, of course, a, an editor at iMore and a fabulous video editor. And he took uh, John's words and my storyboards and made them into this this really wonderful video. So I, I was really, really proud of that. I thought that was something a really fun spin on an iOS release or just an, an operating system release and something, you know, it's like it's I, I applaud folks like even Renee writes 20,000 word reviews um, and Vitici, of course, at Mac Stories. Um, but it's also fun to, like, try and go outside the box a little bit and reach people who aren't necessarily the, you know, the the inner tech nerd circle, the Apple like the the Apple core um, and, and reach out and see if we can grab some new people and be like, hey, look at this. This stuff's really cool. Come learn. Yeah. Not everybody has time to read a 20,000 word review. Exactly. And that's totally fine. And watch your little video and you, you learn quite a bit. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and link that. Everybody should watch that, too. So you, but it's really great to see the creative ways you are expressing yourself over there. And and um, we have really enjoyed it. So I'm glad to have you back on the show. A lot of water has gone under the bridge since the last time we had you on the show. One of the things is that you, like other people in our community, are starting to question whether you're going to be in the laptop um market anymore uh, tell us a little bit about that yeah so um when the ipad pro came out last november i did a little bit of thinking and i said you know what uh you know colleagues of mine in the past have done a my week with the ipad kind of thing and of course um federico over at mac stories had been using the ipad as his primary computer for a little bit but i'd always held off because there were quite a few things that just weren't sitting right with me and with iOS 9 and the iPad Pro, I finally had a, a reason to kind of experiment. It was a bigger screen. It had the pencil, so it meant that I could finally do proper like uh, image editing and video editing with more precise controls than just using my finger. Uh, and so I, I figured, you know, again, what would be a cool way to cover the iPad Pro instead of just a normal review? Well, maybe I'll do a diary. I'll do like a seven-day journaling of my week with the iPad Pro and using the iPad Pro as my sole computer. And on top of that, I was going down to Florida for um, for an annual Thanksgiving kind of vacation. And I thought, well, you know, I can just take the iPad down. And if I don't get much done, then it's not a big deal because I'm on vacation kind of. But if I do get stuff done, then I can make it into a fun series. Uh, and it turned out, you know, as I as I used it throughout the um Throughout the week, I really became attached to to using it. And once I figured out sort of little workflows here and there to make my process easier, I found in some ways I liked writing on it and um, working on photos on it much better than I liked working on the Mac or, uh, or prepping on the Mac. And there's still, I mean, there's still things that I love the Mac for. Uh, and there are apps that simply and and 
processes that that work on the iPad, that are doable on the iPad, but that are not efficient on the iPad. Um, Trello is a great example of a wonderful service for sort of organizing. You know, uh, we use it, of course, to organize articles and, and plan out content. Um, and it's one of those things where the app is perennially very, very slow. If you have a very big board, which we tend to do, and it doesn't have some of the options available on the web, like filters. Uh, and then when you go over to the web version in Safari, it's almost, you know, usable on an iPad, but it's much faster to use on a Mac. So things like that. Um, so we're still like a little bit ahead, a little bit behind. But overall, I really enjoyed working on the iPad to the point where I, I tried sort of working on it primarily for quite a few months. And then in March of this year of 2016, uh, an unfortunate water incident meant that my only other laptop was out of commission for good, which meant that I had to use the iPad as my only laptop. Uh, and I had to do a presentation on that, which is a little terrifying, but I, I managed to make it work, which was awesome. Um, and yeah, I, I have really grown quite fond of working from an iPad. It's it's really a great experience. And you're still claiming that that water incident was an accident, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, both my iPad and my Mac were on the same table. So I have to wonder if my iPad didn't just like, oh, I'm I'm undergoing heavy load and I'm just going to rattle the table just enough to sure. <laughs> throw throw the old guy under the bus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> poor, poor MacBook Air. Yeah, you, I'm sorry. You originally started out with a, the 12 inch iPad in the Logitech Create case, correct? Is that your setup? And have you stuck with that? So I originally started with the 12.9, um, the 12.9 inch iPad Pro and the Logitech Create case. Uh, and I went to the the smart keyboard for about three days and hated it, in part because the 12.9 inch model is so big that not having a rear casing makes me terrified that I'm going to destroy the, the iPad, that I'm just going to like accidentally sit on it or just, you know, snap it in half. Um, but the, the Cree case is very bulky. It's very big. It's kind of hard to like snap in and out. And it was absolutely a pain. Um, and when the iPad Pro 9.7 inch came out, I actually switched to that again, initially to do review on and to, to do some writing on it. And then I got really comfortable with it really quickly, especially with the True Tone screen um, and the other improvements available therein. Uh, and I and I switched to the smart keyboard for that for about I think two months. And then Logitech uh, just last month came out with a new version of its create case for the 9.7 inch iPad pro. And now that is my go-to setup is the 9.7 inch pro plus the Logitech create uh, tiny case because it has a nice slot for your Apple pencil um, and it's manufactured a whole lot. Well, they basically, they learned, they learned from all of their sort of not mistakes, but slight uh, miss you know, shortcomings in the 12.9 inch model. And then they fixed it all for the, for the 9.7. And I'm, I'm much happier with that. And it's also much lighter because it's a smaller, smaller device and less plastic to surround it. So for our listeners who aren't necessarily aware, what's, what are the big differences between like the Apple smart cover and the Logitech case? Because I know some people who are trying to decide which one do I want to get the smart cover, I think is a little bit smaller, but the Logitech case has a few more features, at least as it pertains to the 9.7 inch. Absolutely. So there are a couple of major, uh, major differences. The two big ones for me are that the Logitech create is fully backlit. So you can use it in daylight in nighttime, whatever, and you can see the keys perfectly. Um, and even though I'm not somebody, I mean, I have, I've been a, you know, a touch typist, the anti-vitality. I, I don't know what the word is. For. Yeah, that's a touch typist. 
Yeah, I've, I've been a touch typist since I was like seven or eight. Like I haven't, I, I have no need to look at a keyboard, but it's still really nice to have that option, especially late at night and if you're tired. Um, but the other thing is that the Logitech Create comes with a full function row, which means you have quick shortcuts, access to your music controls, access to volume, access to spotlight, um, access to the home button. You can press the home button and the lock button for a screenshot. That's less important now because, of course, the command shift three uh, shortcut now works on the iPad, which is pretty cool. But but there are still a, a lot of really nice things in that shortcuts bar. Um, and then the other thing, the, the other kind of big features that the create has over the smart cover or the smart keyboard, as I mentioned it before, but the um, the smart keyboard doesn't cover the rear of the iPad. So it only protects the screen which is fine, um, except if you plan to, you know, carry it free form a lot of the time or you're throwing it in a bag with a bunch of other things. The thing I kind of love about the Create is that it's fully encased. So I can, you know, I could throw my my iPad across the room and it would probably result unscathed. I wouldn't want to do that. But, you know, that's that's certainly an option. Um, can we get a video of that? Yeah. No, let's, just, let's just do it right now. Just we'll listen. No, okay. no, that's all right. I'll, I'll skip it. The rear cover is a big reason for me. And then also the 9.7 inch has added an iPad or an Apple pencil slot in the rear, basically in the place where you'd prop up the iPad um, next to the keyboard. There's like a little a little loop where you can stick your pencil in. And it's so nice, you know, I, I have not worried about where my pencil was or if I needed to find my pencil since I got this case. And that alone, I think, is has made it um, a big check, big check mark for my for my workflow. And if you are an artist, uh, it it folds over into a nice kind of angled easel uh, access, which I also find really nice. That sounds like everybody that I know that that bought one of those loves it. It sounds like that's like the winner keyboard for the for the small iPad. It's such it's so nice to type on too. despite the fact that it's for, you know, a 10 inch screen, you would think it would be super compact. But the the keys travel and the spacing just feels really natural. I type probably as fast on that as I do on my iMac keyboard. And the Apple Magic Keyboard also, I think, types pretty nice. But it, it does. It, it doesn't have all those extra features. You know? No, it doesn't have those extra features. And the, the sort of cloth covering can definitely uh, not be as big of a uh, advantage for some people. Like, I really enjoy the fact that you can physically have some key travel on the Create, and it feels a little bit more like a mechanical keyboard. Did you keep the 12.9 iPad, or did that go overboard? I do. It's 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 hanging out right now, um, and I brought it actually for the Apple event. But I'll, I'll be honest, it's I feel bad because it's kind of been relegated to iPad purgatory, aka sitting on my fiance's desk with our other iPads. Um, it's unfortunately, yeah, when I, the problem is like with multiple Macs, I can have a, a desktop Mac and a laptop Mac or a desktop Mac and a laptop iOS device. But having multiple laptops has always been a challenge for me. I had a 15 inch Mac and an 11 inch MacBook Air for a while. And I always felt so bad for the 15 inch Mac because I'm like, I'm never going to use you again, despite the fact that you're a wonderful machine and still quite capable. I get it. Well, David, David will buy it from you. He, he collects iPads. <laughs> yeah, I'm making, I'm making, yeah. a, making a jacket out of them. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think this whole Mac versus iPad thing is, is odd because every time it comes up on the show, we get some feedback from people that are very passionate about it. I mean, it's, uh, 
I don't know how else to put it, but to say it's not a religion. I, I think it's fine to want to use different devices for different things. And one of the hangs up people have is that things aren't always as efficient on iOS. And I'm like you, I, my laptop is no longer with me. My, I work a lot of hours every day on a big, gorgeous iMac, but when I go out, it's using an iPad. I'm going to be on a trip all next week and be running a law practice and a podcast and writing books and all that stuff will be done just fine with an iPad. But uh, they, there are different workflows. And I think part of it for me, the nerd part of me loves kind of figuring it out. Like things, well, this doesn't work as easily as it does on the other thing. Maybe if I spent a few minutes looking at some apps like Workflow or whatever, I could figure out a way to do this better. Are you finding yourself kind of getting into that as well? Or um, are you just all business? Yeah, absolutely. I I think that had I not had um, Federico almost on speed dial uh, when I first started out, I would have been much more frustrated than I actually was in that there were definitely, it's a different workflow working on iOS and people who expect to have the same workflow on iOS that you do on your Mac, it's just not reasonable. And that's not to say that the iPad has an in, inherently inferior workflow. It's just, it's like the difference between Mac OS 9 and OS 10, right? It's just a, it's a completely different system. So you have to develop different workflows. And, you know, there's still people who want a pointer on iOS, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, things like having the key, having a physical keyboard so you can do keyboard shortcuts is really crucial. The The biggest, honestly, the biggest unlock for me was being comfortable with command tab on the iPad to quickly switch between apps and also command space in Spotlight, um, which in iOS 10 now you can launch command space from inside an app and switch that left side pane without ever having to exit back to the home screen. And that's like a really nice sort of hidden subtle feature that they've put into iOS 10 that I don't think a ton of people know about, but really helps people who are working on the iPad, you know, for their productivity, or if they just, you know, want to be sort of um, hyper efficient with keyboard shortcuts. But um, when I was first starting out, I definitely, I made avid use of workflow Workflow is probably one of the biggest tools that you can get, especially if you're working, you want to work professionally on your Mac, because it fills in a lot of the gaps um, that Apple has either intentionally chosen not to do themselves or just is busy with other things and can't really focus on it themselves. For instance, um, the workflow I use almost every day is um, a conversion tool that essentially takes screenshots that I've done. It resizes them to the proper size that I need for the iMore website and saves them as a JPEG. Um, it renames them, which is something that iCloud Drive currently, if you try and upload photos to iCloud Drive, they just upload as image.jpg, which is really helpful. Um, so in Workflow, I have a renaming it as part of the script. It renames them and I can rename it whatever I like. Um, it'll show me a preview and I can even edit the the image inside that preview if I want and put on any subsequent extensions. Um, and once I have done all of this and it's and it's resized the image and ex and exported the image, it then can export the image either directly to our server or it exports to iCloud Drive where I can upload it to our website via Safari's upload tool. So it's like this one click button where essentially the only thing I have to do is press OK on the on the image preview and then type in my my name for the image file. And then it automatically takes care of everything else. And that kind of a that kind of a tool, that kind of like a super bundle, that's almost quicker than 
anything I do on the Mac. I know there are automator workflows that could I could do on the Mac, but I've never because the amount of time it would save me on the Mac to do something like that is not that much. It's not like a huge time gain. I've never made the investment to go to automator, whereas on an iPad, it's very much like, oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to spend five minutes per image like doing this the old fashioned or doing this like save to iCloud, then open iCloud, then tap two buttons to get to the rename field, then rename, then figure out, then open a separate app to resize the image and export it again. Like there's. And, and you're leaving out the insane amount of tapping you may have to do just to get to the file on iCloud. Mm-hmm, exactly. Whereas workflow, it's one tap. And that that workflow, that um, that recipe took me, I don't know. 20 minutes to set up with um, with Federico Vatici's help. And the next time it'll take you five to do something similar. Exactly. And now, yeah, now that I know how work and workflow is also very user friendly for somebody who had never really played around with Apple script. And I have limited coding knowledge um, and on the front end, you know, web development side, but ne- never, you know, never worked in Objective C, never worked in Apple script. Uh, going, going into workflow, I was originally really concerned about how I was going to make all of this, uh, flow together. And they, they are very, very good with help guides. And, um, yeah, I, I hate, I feel like I'm just name dropping Vatici over and over again, but he really is one of the, the top people were, you know, who comes up with workflow recipes and things like that. And he, he runs a great, uh, newsletter called Mac stories weekly where he puts in like all of this all of these helpful things. And it's like, it's, it's honestly been my, my saving grace as I've been building stuff for the iPad. I remember that, you know, one of the things I do on the Mac is a lot of times I get emails that need to be saved as PDFs. It's just something that I run into between the various jobs I have. And on iOS, it was always a nightmare because Apple, Apple mail has never supported an export to PDF feature from Apple mail. It doesn't have a share sheet and, or, you know, the tools most people have. But now we've got apps like Airmail and Dispatch and a couple of those that do a good job of that. But you still have this miserable process of, you know, navigating, saving it to the right, whether it's Dropbox or iCloud or whatever, and getting to the right place and naming it. And it's the same thing. I spent probably about 20 minutes designing a workflow. And now it's a push of one button. And when it occurred to me that I can do that task now faster on an iPad than I can on a Mac, it just delighted me because I'm like, great. So there is a way around a lot of these problems, not all of them, but a lot of them, if you spend a little bit of time. So and I think that's what happens. And that's how somebody gets hooked on this stuff. Like you, I opened up my laptop one day and realized I hadn't used it in five weeks without even really intending to make it a big grand experiment. It just happened to me that I stopped using my laptop. And I think that's going around. So, so what are some of your other favorite apps that uh, you're using as a iPad lifestyle writer? Oh gosh, um, I I really like OneWriter for um, for writing in Markdown. I, that's a been a really huge help and a tool. And surprisingly, the Notes app, the default Notes app, has been really nice. The iCloud syncing has gotten much more ironclad than uh, than I remember it being the first time I was using Notes between devices. And that's a it's a great place to kind of throw stuff really quickly that I want to transfer between devices. Like I'd imagine if you're sitting in an Apple briefing or something, that, that'd be a great app to just go in and start typing things. Yep, exactly. Um, and so that's it's a really nice to kind of have that. Um, other things, I use paper probably nonstop at this point, um, either where I'm just sketching on the pencil 
uh, or I've even drawn some things. The entirety of that iPad uh, review was, or the the pencil review was done in paper and then stitched together using another app that I rely on pretty much daily called Long Screen. Um, and Long Screen stitches together iPad, iPhone, and Apple Watch screenshots. So essentially, you can just pick screenshots to go in a horizontal or a vertical row, and then it exports it as one one PNG or one JPEG, however you want it, with um, either no spacing between the, the images or spacing between the images. You can even pop um, device shells around it so you can get like the nice little iPhone design or the, the Apple Watch design if you want to display your screenshots like that. It's a super, super helpful tool and something that I didn't expect never expected to see on the Mac, especially um, we use, of course, on the Mac, we use a tool called Napkin um, that is likely not going to come to to iOS anytime soon. So it's really nice to be able to to have sort of a variation on that. I want to take a moment and talk about our next sponsor, Fracture. Fracture is a photo decor company that's out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. They print your photos directly onto glass and then add a laser cut rigid backing. So they're ready to display right out of the box. You know, they even include the little wall anchor. So you can just drill right into the wall and boom, you're done. It's the finishing touches like that that make Fracture so wonderful. All you have to do is head over to their website at fracture.me slash podcast. That's actually the word podcast, not the name of this podcast and upload your digital photo, pick your size. And it's that simple. There is something magical that they do with the fracture process that makes both the color and the contrast of your photo really pop. And I've got a ton of these. They are sleek. They are frameless. It is a beautiful design that makes your photos stand out and they really match any decorating style. So you can take them from room to room or from home to office, and they're always going to work. You can bring a special memory to life. You can give it as a unique gift. You can decorate your home with all of the moments that tell your story. And businesses also love using Fracture Prints to brighten up their workspaces or give us corporate gifts or awards. And if you've got a new business that you're trying to decorate an office, this is actually a fairly inexpensive way to personalize and decorate your office. You can either do it with your own prints or Fracture has a series of custom prints that you can buy. Fractures come with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you're going to make sure that you love your order. And each fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida, from U.S.-sourced materials and their carbon-neutral factory. So here's what you do. For more info and a discount off your order, visit FractureMe.com slash podcast. And don't forget to mention Mac Power users in their one-question survey to let them know that we sent you. It helps support the show. That's FractureMe.com slash podcast. Thanks, Fracture, for your continued support of Mac Power users. So long screen. Yeah. So long screen is really great, and I'm really really happy to to have that as part of my toolbox. Um, and on that note, I, I do wish that long screen had some call out features. Um, the markup, the new markup features that Apple has are going to help with that with in terms of call outs. But the one thing like any any enterprising iOS developers out there, the one thing that I really want and that so far only Skitch, poor discontinued Skitch has been able to to provide me with. Let's all just take a moment here. I know. Bow our heads for well, Skitch. Well, it's not all totally right. discontinued. I think it still is technically on the Mac, but maybe not. Yeah. But yeah, so what I what I use it for is Skitch is available as an extension. And once I export something from long screen, I can use Skitch. I can use Skitch's um, uh, pixelized tool to black out information that I don't want shown in screenshots. And for some reason, I cannot find another app 
that has an extension that will let me do that. It's like, it's such a little thing. It's such a tiny thing to be able to do. Um, and I, so I've been using Skitch, which is only sort of supported on iOS 10. It's very glitchy, uh, but it does, it does still work. <laughs> I do wish the Photos apps were more generous with the extension tools because a lot of the good Photos apps, they just have filters that you can apply through extensions. It, it should go further than that. You should be able to use some of the selective, you know, adjustments and the other real power tools they have. And I don't know what the holdup is on that. I, I've never spoken with anyone in the know to get a straight answer on that. I don't know. I mean, it is hard. Um, the extension framework is pretty limited, so it's hard for them to to throw in fully featured tools from the from the apps. And also, they do want you to kind of visit your apps to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, other things that I use, uh, I use iMovie pretty constantly when I'm editing short stuff. Um, as I mentioned, we shot our entire iPhone 7 and 7 Plus review on the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus. Renee and I were lucky to have two sets of phones. So we it's were kind of meta, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was totally <laughs> meta. Super meta. Uh, but yeah, we did this. Um, and though I didn't edit it on iMovie, I did some initial um, some initial cuts and put some initial things together in iMovie. All right. Well, let's jump off the iPad for a minute. And I want, I want to talk about those cameras. So, so you shot these videos with, it was the plus or was it the standard iPhone seven? We both, shot right? it with both actually. So, um, we had two sets, we had an, we had two iPhone sevens and two iPhone seven pluses. Um, and, uh, the iPhone seven plus did the majority of the video work, uh, with the iPhone seven, basically pinch hitting in whenever the seven plus was actually on screen. <laughs> so any any time that we were shooting with those double cameras, it's a it's an iPhone seven shooting. And the beauty is because uh, both of the wide angle cameras now have optical image stabilization, it looked it looks very similar and flawless, quite honestly, uh, to cut between the two of them. Were you using any additional hardware to do that, or any special software, or was it just the iPhones in your hands shooting these videos? We shot directly with camera with the camera app. We had um, I installed uh, Filmic Pro, assuming that I was going to shoot in Filmic. And after a couple of test shots in Filmic and a couple of test shots in the camera app, I actually decided I'm like, you know what? Let's just do the entire thing straight, and then I can I can fix and post if I absolutely have to. But it's a nice you know it's a nice way to truly test out the camera features as like an average user would would use them. While trying to film this, you know, high, high value, high quality style that we usually go for with like a DSLR. Um, and I was honestly very surprised and happy with what we got. Um, we shot in bright sunlight. We shot in the shade. We shot in low light. Uh, there are two shots in that video from the front facing camera, which now shoots in 1080p, by the way. Uh, because we didn't have a third cameraman and we needed to get an over the shoulder shot late at night. So there are a couple of like very, uh, very conniving uh, variations using just these cameras, though. And I was really, really impressed with how well it did. Um, the only hardware that we really carried aside from the iPhones themselves, um, I actually I bought a selfie stick for the first time ever to use as a to essentially use as a stabilizer stick to use it as a as a monopod as a would be steady cam yeah exactly I'm, I'm sure Renee had a selfie stick he could have loaned you 
No, no. Actually, Renee did not bring a selfie stick, so I had a. So you guys didn't even use a tripod mount for that. No, we used um, we used an iographer for the for the unboxing videos that um can, our Canadian editor Daniel Bader had brought, but we did not use that for the actual review videos. So everything that you see in the review video was either shot with the the selfie stabilizer, um, or it was shot freehand. Quite a lot of that actually was shot freehand. Yeah, the, the addition of the optical image stabilization last year for video, uh, that, that, you know, Katie, you've got the 6, but I've got the 6S. We shoot a lot of video in my house and also for some of the book projects I work on. And it is really impressive how how stable it is with that with that optical image stabilization. So I, I did it get better with the 7? Yeah, I mean, it's about I would say it's about the same between the 6 and the the 6S plus and the 7. Um, but the added benefit of having the sevens, uh, F 1.8 aperture and yeah, the low light. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, it, not even for low light, although for certain, certainly it helps low light, but even just in brighter light, it helps by having the option of getting more light. It helps make the images look more stable and less have less shake because it's getting more information to the sensor, which is really awesome. Um, and then no, and doubly so for the seven plus, of course, which has the telephoto lens, um, which is getting that information. Both cameras are essentially feeding information to the image signal processor constantly when the seven plus is, is filming. And the, uh, the ISP may not always use the telephoto lens as I kind of discovered, but, uh, but it always takes the information and says, Hey, will this be helpful to this video or this photo? Uh, yes or no. And if yes, then I will take it and I will use it to make the picture look better. I haven't tested the theory of, you know, covering up one of the lenses to see if it's grabbing information from both. Did you guys do anything on that? Yeah, we did. I actually posted a, an article over the weekend. Um, essentially, the telephoto lens uh, for, for people who are listening to me now have been obsessively staring over camera stats as I was. The telephoto lens has a, an F2.8 aperture, which is uh, quite a good deal less uh, sensitive to the light than the 1.8 aperture on the wide angle lens. And it also comes without optical image stabilization. And that's not because Apple was like, oh, we want to cheat you out of the lens. It's just there's there's no room to put it in a second optical image stabilizer with the case that they have now. There's just it just unfortunately wouldn't work. Um, and the same thing with the aperture. And with that much zoom, there's the physics. Yeah, physics. Physics prevents the glass unless you want to have a huge camera bump instead of a little bitty camera bump. Um, and even with the, te the telephoto is not, of course, a true telephoto lens. It's about a 56 millimeter equivalent, like a normal, a normal or maybe a portrait type lens. Um, but in the context of the wide angle and the context of the one X versus two X framing, I understand why Apple called it a telephoto. Uh, so as a result, because the telephoto has, you know, a uh, <laughs> a smaller aperture and no optical image stabilization and also a slightly smaller sensor. Um, I think it's one, one, three hundredths of, I can't remember. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to quote things that I can't remember. Um, but it's a, it's a slightly smaller sensor than the 1.8 um, F 1.8 aperture wide angle. It means that the data simply stops becoming good after a certain point at a certain light. Um, and it also has a longer minimum focus distance, which means that if you're shooting up really close macro images, um, if you're too close for the telephoto to properly focus, the telephoto is basically going to cede control to the wide angle lens. So a great example was I, sh I was shooting some really orange flowers in Central Park 
and I was up too close to where, despite being at 2x mode, um, I was too close for the telephoto to function. So when I pressed capture, it was actually the wide angle that was blown up to 2x and captured like that. And okay. they, yeah, the <laughs> so- image signal, the image signal processor essentially makes a value judgment. And it says like in the in the 300 billion calculations that it does in the millisecond that you take the photo, it essentially says the data that's coming from this telephoto lens. Is this data going to be better than the the equal data that I'm getting from the wide angle? And if the answer is yes, then it's always going to use the telephoto. If the answer is maybe or no, then it's going to default to the the wide angle. And so what we discovered was essentially um, in close-up macro shots where the telephoto couldn't grab the appropriate focus or in um, in lighting situations where you were essentially shooting below 160th or 130th of shutter speed, um, at that point, it almost always reverted to the 1.8 um, aperture wide-angle lens. So you're actually getting a digital 2x zoom where it's where you would expect to get an optical zoom. Yeah, so is it a, but when you say digital 2x zoom, is it smooth at all or is it just actually a smaller image just made bigger? Yeah, I mean, it's it is definitely it's definitely smooth. I mean, it's 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 the same kind of digital zoom that you would expect if you were getting a digital, you know, just a straight out pinch to zoom, um, maybe even a little bit better. They might be adding a little bit a little bit of data from the telephoto sensor. I can't, you know, I don't have the tools, unfortunately, to track how the ISP is working. Um, But from what I can gather, um, it's very much it tries to take what information it can and then sort of hybridize the image into the best possible variation. Um, In an extreme low light, it's very hard to use the signal from the telephoto because the lack of OIS combined with the fact that we're, you know, you're looking at a closer image makes it really hard for the telephoto image to line up properly with the wide angle image, because the wide angle is going to be much steadier. And if you're shooting at, you know, if you're shooting at one seventh or one eighth of a shutter speed, um, that's going to be really, really hard for you to balance properly and get a clear shot with the white, with the telephoto lens. So I, I understand why they did it. Um, it, it's a little disappointing as a, as like a, but like an, a pro mature photographer. Yeah. Prosumer photographer. However, um, Apple has kind of anticipated this, and in the same way that they offer manual cam- camera controls for third-party apps, they also offer manual lens switching to the third-party apps. So, like, if you open Pro Camera on the iPhone 7 Plus, you can actually tell it to shoot in telephoto, and it will switch to the telephoto lens and only use the telephoto lens, even if you also set manual camera controls to, like, one-fifth of a second or something like that. And so when I wrote this article this weekend, I actually did that test where I'm like, well, does the does the, you know, digital 2x zoom actually look better than what Apple thinks the telephoto zoom looks or the telephoto picture looks like? Uh, And I went into pro camera and I took a a picture at the same shutter speed and the same, you know, ISO as the um, as the iPhone, uh, the wide angle picture. And yes, quite, quite frankly, the um, the the fuzz and the grain becomes really really hazy and not worth it at under a certain shutter speed and especially if you're dealing with um with very textured images the digital zoom actually looks better it's a little bit you know crisper it looks a little bit more processed but it does you know it does look a little bit better than if you were just straight away got a camera but if you're shooting something that's not moving and you can lock it into a tripod 
something with ProCam, you could overcome that and say, no, I want to use it. I want a long exposure and I want to use the telephoto lens. So you can do that. But, you know, I, I think they're they're trying to make decisions to just give most people good pictures. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think that's been Apple's goal from the beginning um, is that when they're shoot, when they're aiming, shooting, haha, um, to give the average user the best possible pictures that they can when they just open the camera button and press the shutter and they don't have to worry about exposing properly and they don't have to worry about where they're zooming. Instead, they can just like press a one X or a two X button depending on the framing that they want and then just go for it. Um, and you know, the, the, the folks, the folks among us who are more avid, ca- uh, camera geeks, there is definitely, you know, there, there's room for us too. And there are a lot of tools available for third party products, but for the average user, uh, that's why camera app doesn't have manual camera controls. That's why the, the camera app doesn't shoot raw or doesn't allow you to manually select lenses because they just want it to be nice and simple. They don't want you to have to think about it. They just want you to be able to get a great picture. Yeah, I had a, a listener write in complaining about how come the native camera app doesn't shoot raw. And my response was, well, they don't want everybody to use up all their iCloud storage in a weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And most people wouldn't even understand what's going on there. Well, exactly. <laughs> iOS 10 can now shoot raw photos. Um, and so that's something that that prosumers or pro photographers can have access to if they want now in the iOS. Yes, exactly. So that's available in a third party app, just like um, manual lens control or manual camera controls. And it kind of ties it up for, you know, Apple is very clearly sending a messages to, to folks who want to use this camera for professional work and saying, use it in these apps. These apps will help you get the photos that you want if you want to do more experimentation. I actually had a really fun time um, during the full moon where I actually took out the iPhone 7 while we were out on a walk with the dogs. And I managed to get the clearest shot of the moon that I've ever gotten on a mobile camera with uh, with Obscura. And that was that was astonishing to me to be able to actually see like craters in the moon. And yeah, it was super fuzzy because it was at five times zoom, but Still, like to do that on a whim, to go out on a walk and just open up a third party camera app and shoot that and be able to adjust it in raw. That's like that's that's the dream right there. That's the mobile photography dream. So wait wait a second. You shot the moon without a tripod. I shot the moon freehand with the phone walking the dogs. This app Obscura, I'm not familiar with it. So tell me a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah, so um, Obscura and Manual are the two third-party apps I use. Yeah, Manual, I know. Yeah. Obscura is an app by uh, Ben Rice McCarthy, um, who um, I met a few years ago. He was a, he's been the photographer for a couple of iOS and Mac conferences um, for the last couple of years. And he's been a pretty prominent photographer. He's also a student or just finished, just graduated. So he was a student, I think, in Dublin. Um, and he spent the last few years writing a camera app called Obscura, um, which is a manual camera app. And I mean, the ma- the manual features are a really nice, uh, nice addition to it. It's a really simple app that I really like. It's, it has a nice black interface and it also has some of the best collections of filters that I've ever encountered. It has it has some of the most beautiful black and white filters. And when I'm shooting black and white, I tend to use Obscura over another camera app because I just really like the way that it processes those images um, but yeah, uh, that's a, that's a great app. Manual is a great app, especially cause manual has that, a uh, has the tap to focus where it shows you a 10 X version of where you're focusing. So you can actually see whether the shape that you're focusing on looks like it's 
the focus and exposure you want so you can further, you know, play around like that. And Pro Camera, of course, allows you to shoot with the various lenses. So those are the three kind of uh, the three third party apps, manual camera apps that are in my digital bag, so to speak. With respect to, you know, some as someone who's shot these on very expensive SLRs and expensive glass in the past, you just did this big photo shoot with Renee using the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus. Where were the points that it fell down in, compa- in comparison to the more expensive equipment you've used in the past? Absolutely. Well, I want to start by saying I was overall really impressed. Um, I, I went out, you know, went into this basically being like, okay, the telephoto lens is not going to be that great. Um, and to be honest, my initial, my initial photography with it was kind of a little, eh, you know, not, not amazing. And then the more I kind of got a handle on what it could do and what it couldn't do, I really started getting impressed. The big thing, um, for these cameras, and it's something, you know, I read the consumer reports, uh, article published earlier that was essentially like, we tested these cameras in a restaurant and we didn't find any difference from the success and success plus, and to that, I just kind of looked at, like looked at the report baffled uh, because the biggest thing to notice is if you're taking pictures with any sort of color in them, the the introduction of shooting in wide color and in the P3 wide color gamut spectrum is huge. It's a it's a it's a gigantic step forward for mobile photography. Um, and for people who don't really know what they're looking at. Um, I was posting kind of some initial comparisons on Twitter, which is, again, it's hard to compare because Twitter compresses the image and does not show it in the proper wide color spectrum that you'd need to see if you were looking at it, say, on an iPhone 7 screen or on a Retina iMac, both of which support the P3 standard. Um, If you're just looking at these photos and you're looking at them in comparison to a 6S, the the first thing I heard from people was like, oh, the 7 pictures look really saturated. And then you actually take a second and look at the photo in greater detail and you realize, no, it's not that everything is like oversaturated. It's that specifically the reds and the oranges and the purples and the yellows actually look true to life, but still had the same detail that they have when they were less, you know, less vibrant and less colorful. So unlike, you know, a, a traditional picture where if I took a picture of orange flowers and then boosted the saturation, all the detail would kind of fall out of the picture. You still have all of that detail and you have this big, like huge burst of color. Um, there were these, uh, I took a picture, like I was constantly taking pictures of graffiti when we were in New York because graffiti is probably the easiest way to tell the difference between wide color and not wide color images, um, because they used, you know, such vibrant colors, um, in the, in the paintings. And so I was taking pictures of these tags and like the red tags that I was taking pictures of on the 6S, these tags looked almost, you know, orange or pink in comparison to the the proper tags. And I'm looking at like the 6S screen, the 7 screen, and then looking up at the tag. And I'm like, the 7 screen and the the photo that it's taking is so close to the true color that my eyes are seeing that it's it's a little baffling and it's a little crazy. Um, so that's a huge pro for the camera. Um, on the minus side, I am kind of disappointed in the telephoto apps or the telephoto lenses lack of flexibility. I think what it's doing as part of a combined hybrid system is really cool in terms of filling out detail for brightly lit pictures. But when it comes to low light pictures, people are going to be using this 2X setting thinking that they're getting a nice telephoto, you know, portrait 
style picture when in most most likely in low light situations, they're just getting a crop of the wide angle sensor. And it's still, you know, it's not bad from the perspective of, yeah, it's training you to, to shoot in sort of that wide angle look. And I'm sure they're getting a little bit of data from that from that telephoto sensor to kind of help round out the photo. But it it does disappoint me overall, especially given how much emphasis was placed on this feature. And given that the feature is going to have, of course, the new the new portrait mode coming later this year with the the faux depth of field. I say faux, but really it's it is real depth of field. They're just adding a little bit of extra depth to it by measuring the distance between the wide angle and the telephoto lens when in context with a subject. Um, but that that kind of a mode, you know, even one of Apple Apple sample pictures, it shows a one X, two X shot of a girl on a fire escape at night with her hair lit, you know, in the background. And that kind of a photo is gorgeous. But I don't know if this I don't know if the telephoto lens would actually fire in the the native camera app at that low light. I think it might switch over to a digital 2x zoom at that point. So it's almost kind of it's not it's not false advertising because I know you could get that shot with a third party camera app. But it's still it's still slightly frustrating to me. I'm like, I want this to be I want it to be next year's camera already. I understand why they had to make the limitations they did, but it's very frustrating. And I do think that they can do more with those two lenses. I suspect that they're they have a whiteboard that has two or three additional features for having those two lenses. And they just they probably want to do them in an order that makes sense and and get the first one right before they start dumping these on us. Absolutely. I do. I do believe that. And I, I do believe that the, the system does feel a little bit unfinished as far as that's concerned. Um, one other thing that I really wanted to highlight um, about the the cameras is that the the light pollution and specifically the J.J. Abrams style light flares that you'd get from the 6S and the 6S Plus are all but gone on the 7 and 7 Plus. Like I shot this crazy image with Renee sitting um, in Battery Park uh, in New York City where he's lit. He's basically backlit with like three, four, five lights behind him. And on my 6S and 6S Plus shots, it it basically looks like he's on the bridge of the Enterprise where like there's all of these light bands going side to side. And on the 7 and 7 Plus, you get only the slightest bit of lens refraction and otherwise it's crystal. And that was like that that was just a thing where it I was not expecting an image like the the cameras to do that. And I was not expecting to get the level of detail that I was getting out of low light shots. There was definitely there were a couple moments when our first night in New York City, Renee, myself and um, Michael Fisher uh, walked over the Brooklyn Bridge at about two in the morning and we were just taking photos the entire time and consistently taking a photo, looking at it, looking at each other and just going, wow, what is like this is not this is not fair. This is not real. Like, I don't under, I do not understand how this is coming out of this camera. And Galaxy S7 people can laugh at us and whatever, you know, oh, ha ha, you know, our, our low light stuff has been better for a year, whatever. I'm sure your camera is great. I am not dissing your camera. I am just very impressed at the big leap they've managed to make and the fact that they're not there. There is no aberration around the corners. It does not look like the image is vignetting or rounding out or in otherwise being compromised by that wide angle, um, big aperture on that lens. Yeah, I mean, the lens flare for me is perhaps the biggest problem I have with the iPhone 6S camera. It just makes me crazy when I shoot pictures at night. So Serenity, you've had an opportunity that most people don't get to have. You've had an opportunity to play with both the 7 and the 7 Plus. Um, are you upgrading to the 7? Um, 
are you going to go to the seven plus? Are you going to stick with your six S? What are you doing? So I have a seven. I have a jet black seven plus in my hand right now. That is mine. It is not apples. <laughs> um, in addition to, I have review models of both the seven and the seven plus. Um, I, I was very conflicted. I ordered, of course, that I pre-ordered the seven plus just being like, well, I have to get the one with the new camera, whatever. It's just, that's, that's the way it's going to be. Um, but I've been using the six S for quite some time and I really love the form factor of the six S. So I was very reticent to move back to a plus. I did that for like three months and really didn't want to go back to it. Um, but two things have really kind of convinced me, I think, to stick with this phone. Um, and one is the jet, the jet black finish as, as silly as it sounds. Um, this is a phone. I have not had an iPhone that felt this good since the three GS. And I am far less worried that I'm going to drop this than I would a three GS. It's the first I'm, I'm actually keeping it caseless, which I'm like, I'm feeling bad because I'm already scuffing it up a little bit, but at the same time, and I haven't like scuffed up a phone in years, but at the same time, being able to hold the phone without a case and just have it feel so good in my hands is is such a it's such a weird and at the same time welcome feeling and it's such a nice it's such a nice feeling it reminds me a little bit of um of like the 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 railing on an escalator it has that same that same kind of almost rubbery feel to it despite the fact that it's glass you know it's glass and aluminum it almost um I think Marco Arment mentioned that it uh, the whole thing almost feels like glass. And I, I would agree with that. It definitely doesn't feel like aluminum. It doesn't feel anything like the other anodizations. Um, so the hype is real on that front. And yeah, it does scratch. Um, I, I, <laughs> I feel bad. I got, I've got our loaner unit uh, quite a bit scratched up because I had a modern or a nylon buckle, a woven nylon buckle in the same pocket, um, coat pocket as my seven. And the, the front of it got a little bit little bit scratched um but it's but it blends pretty nicely like it's not going to look pristine but it it still has a it still has a nice look to it even after it gets a little banged up it reminds me a lot of the 3gs and the way that finish kind of wore off over time yeah i was in the apple store i haven't got mine yet and i I was playing with both of them and you're right it is immediately clear that the jet black one is grippier i guess for lack of a better term but I turned it over and, and somebody had taken keys and just scratched the hell out of the back of it, you know, in the Apple store. Jerks. <laughs> you know, it, it, but just the fact that they were able to do that in the Apple store just reminds you this thing is going to get scratched. <laughs> but so that's the question. You want it grippy or you want it pristine? You I, know, I think and, that's committing a crime, though. Yeah, I, 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 the guy talked to the Apple store employee who was very upset about it. And he says, yeah, it happened the second day and I don't know what to do, but... Yeah, those those people are just, you know, the people who put iPhones in the like the vice grips to crush them just make me sad. I'm like, I understand the the theoretical point and the page views. But at the end of the day, like people worked hard on designing and building these things. And, you know, people spent money putting this together and precious materials out of the earth that can never be mined again to to make these phones. And do you really is it really do you really need the page views that come from smashing a phone or? scratching it up in an apple store i don't know and there's a lot of people that could have given that phone a good home yeah doing it to something you own is one thing doing it to something that somebody else's owns is that's even screw it yeah that's just not cool this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by pdf pen pdf pen is smiles pdf tool for the mac ipad and iphone and it's fantastic 
Using PDF Pen, you can not only review your documents, you can also have access to more advanced tools like signing documents or redacting secret text. You can even use bait stamps, which is a very fancy thing lawyers use all the time, to number documents. I think my favorite feature of PDF Pen is the great way it does optical character recognition. I get lots of scans in my life that have not had OCR applied to them. PDF Pen can take care of this for me and then let applications like Hazel do all sorts of auto sorting and the other things we talk about here on the Mac Power Users. PDF Pen has got some nice updates since we last talked about it. With the release of Mac OS Sierra, Smile has been able to add some great new features. The first is called Snap to Guides. This helps you align objects and text with the existing lines and baselines. It's a lot easier than any way you could do this before, and once you start using it, you won't go back. The new version has also been compiled under Sierra, which allows users that purchase PDF Pen directly from Smile to still use iCloud storage. You may not be aware, but before you could only use iCloud storage if you bought the app from the App Store. Well, Apple changed that, and now Smile has been able to adapt PDF Pin to allow you to use all of your iCloud storage, even if you buy the app directly from them. And frankly, I recommend you do buy it directly from Smile, because then you'll be in on the upgrade path and have the quickest access to application updates. No matter how you pay for your shoes anymore, everybody's dealing with digital documents, and you're going to need a powerful tool on your side. PDF Pen is just that tool. If you don't believe me, head over to smilesoftware.com slash pdfpen and download the trial and try it out for yourself. Also, let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users. Thanks, Smile, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users. So, Serenity, we talked earlier about uh, some of the digital reviews that you were doing over at iMore. You very famously um, did the review of the iPad Air drawn on an iPad Air, which I know was very popular. I linked to it. David linked to it. I think uh, it was um, you know, very popular all across the Internet where you were drawing on, on the iPad Air. Let's talk a little bit about Serenity, the, di- the digital artist. Have you, you've always been an artist. Um, how has that changed now that you've gotten your hands on the iPad? Oh gosh. Well, I will say for, um, I, I always feel a little bit guilty calling myself an artist because I, I rarely do this professionally. It's always been kind of a hobby project for me. Um, so, and it's also, it's one of those things where you, you always feel a little guilty, like grabbing that mantle and it's like, there are professional artists who are so much better than I am. Um, but all of that, so the, the disclaimers aside, um, what I really love about the iPad Pro and the pencil is that it lets you just, it takes away your excuses, basically. When I was, you know, the, the last time I was really drawing heavily, which is about two, uh, 2010, I had so many excuses as to why I wasn't going to like, I had a comic and I was like, oh, this is, you know, I can't, I can't get the comic up tonight because I ran out of ink or my paper supply is getting low or my scanner is being fussy or my, my computer is being too slow to draw with this. It's literally like, oh, my pencil's dead. It takes me three minutes to charge it and then I'm good to go. Um, the, you know, one app isn't working because I'm running a beta. There are 10 other drawing apps that are just as great. Um, and, and also to be course, perfectly honest, like it's the, it's the ability to instantly share that I think is the, the huge kind of benefactor to, to me being able to draw so much 
on the pro is, oh, I can draw this like little doodle and 10 minutes later, send it to somebody or post it online or, you know, color it up and, and make it something, something that people can actually enjoy. And previous to that, you know, if you if you draw something really nicely, you'd either have to settle for taking like an iPhone picture of it and then scanning it and then working, doing more work and more work. Or, you know, I I defaulted for a long time to just drawing on post-it notes, being like, well, if it's going to look terrible on the Internet, I might as well just do these really quick things. And now I have the option of not only having it look nice, but also having it be quick and easy to easily digestible. So it's a it's an it's a really nice blend of all of those things. And it gets me it forces me to experiment. Um I have never designed a typeface in my life up until last year when I discovered um there's a a, a type a typography program that where you can draw your own typeface uh for iOS 10. And I had no idea that something like that existed. I I didn't think that something like that could exist on iOS. And within two hours, I went from no typeface to having a typeface of my of basically my handwriting, give or take a little bit. Um, and it, it's not perfect. And I certainly have some kerning stuff that I still need to work on. But the fact that I was able to basically go from zero to 60 and then also post a screenshot of me writing in that typeface two hours later, just for just for fun, for for kicks, that that's incredible. Like to, to give that kind of power to somebody is, is so awesome. I mean, we have talked about this on the show. I mean, Mac Pirate has been on for many years. And I remember at the very beginning, one of the reasons why I explained I like the Mac so much is because it frees you to create. You know, I I have spent time in the PC world and not much lately, but I remember, you know, all the time I spent defragging and, you know, all the stuff you would do just to keep the machine running. Whereas on the Mac, it felt like they gave you great tools to create and you just created the the pencil and the iPad Pro to me feel like a next iteration of that. Yes, absolutely. I agree. And I can't wait to see what, what else they do with the pencil um, and how they iterate upon it. One of my sort of moonshot hopes was that the iPhone 7 Plus was going to get like a miniature pencil or even honestly make the full size pencil work on the, the iPhone because there are a lot of really great photography uh apps where you can edit photos or um, paper has, of course, a, a version of its app for iPhone 7 Plus. Um, their Astropad, which is this Cintiq style second display app for, for artists who want to make use of both their iMac and their and their iPad that has an iPhone app. So there's there are all of these potential opportunities for this. Or even just digital field notes. I mean, open up and draw. And, and I I think a lot of people get hung up because Steve Jobs talked about saying, if you have a stylus, you blew it. I wish. Yeah, I understand his reasoning behind that. I really wish that that really wish that that had never been said. But what can you do? But I, I think that there's a nuance to it. It's not that the stylus is replacing the touch input. It's just an it's, it's an additional feature. And I think that's what he meant as well. But. Either way, uh, I bet that would have I bet that would have put you in the plus club if they did that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of in the plus club either way, but I, I would have definitely been in the plus like hands down instant buy in the plus club if I was able to use the pencil. OK, so you, you've said that you are an amateur but serious artist. Um, 
I have found myself becoming an artist, which I never thought I, I was one of those people when I was a kid, I drew a couple things and they said, no, you're not a good artist. So I said, okay, I'm not a good artist. And I never, you know, never really took it seriously. And then the iPad pro showed up and I find like as a therapy thing, it started with these little coloring books. You know, there's a bunch of these coloring books. I, I'll, I'll find a couple and put them in the show notes. But the other thing I like is I, I got into procreate. And Procreate's a super fancy drawing app. But one thing they do is they have the ability to put layers in. So I will get a picture of Baymax or, you know, BB-8 or some, you know, some creature that I like. And I will put it in the background, make it very transparent, and then start tracing over the top of it with the pencil tool. And I will spend hours when I have hours to, you know, basically trace and then start drawing. Then eventually I'll take out the back image. And I will start shading it and start feeling like I'm an artist of some sort. Um, I think there's a lot of people like that out there that are starting to discover. What would you recommend to someone like me that wants to go a few steps further? Yeah, I mean, the the path that you're on is a great one where it's just if you want to start drawing or start, you know, investigating kind of the wide world of of iPad art and iPad photography, the best thing that you can do is to download a couple of apps. Uh, Procreate's a great starter one. Paper is honestly my favorite to recommend to people because their tools are so great. Even the Notes app has a lot of tools that you can really kind of explore. Um, but the pencil is a great starter. And I mean, if you're not even at the pencil stage, like if you just want to, if you're like, I think I want to draw on a device, but I'm not really sure, you can also get a third-party stylus and kind of work your way up if you're if you're a little daunted by that kind of a purchase. I really like the Jot Mark. Um, it's this $12 stylus from Adonit that is super, super comfortable in the hand. It feels like it should be $50. It's, it's really, really good. Um, and that's like a that's a nice way. That'll draw on anything. That'll draw on the first iPad. That'll draw on the iPhone 7. So it gives you kind of like a, an intro to that. But if you want to sort of expand further from there, um, the best thing I would actually recommend in addition to like downloading some apps is actually start looking at some of the many, many, many artist resources and references available online. Something that I used to do on planes that I really loved is there's a, there are a couple different websites that offer um, gesture tutorials where they just, they'll throw up pictures for about 30 seconds or two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes. And your job is just to draw as quickly as possible. And on the iPad in split screen mode, you can put Safari in one side of the screen and your canvas in another side of the screen. And I use Procreate for this where you can just do, you know, two minute sketches of hands and then it shows you a different hand and you do a new sketch and it shows you a different hand and you do a new sketch. And it's a really good way. Like if you're interested in learning more about drawing or more about figures or any of that, there's so many different kinds of drawing tutorials that are free and available on the web. And, and I really recommend kind of going and exploring those. As a Disney pass holder, you know, one of my favorite things is at California Adventure, they have uh, an animation studio where they teach you how to draw some Disney characters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as, as my kids want to do things that I'm the old guy and they don't want to do with me anymore, I'll go in there and draw for a little while. One of the things they do in there that I think is really smart is they, um, they, they give you a pencil, they don't give you an eraser. And they give you a piece of paper and you just go at it. But, you know, the nerd here brings his iPad Pro and <laughs> I just do it on that. That's awesome. What has been the difference in drawing on the uh, 12.9 inch versus the 9.7 inch iPad, if any? Less than I thought. Uh, the biggest difference, I think, is the feeling of freedom on the canvas. The 12.9 reminds me a lot of a, a big 
uh, easel style sketch pad. And when you're drawing quick uh, sketches, something that they always tell you in like in gesture uh, in uh, life drawing class is essentially to draw big with your like take get your entire arm into the action rather than like focusing with just like your fingers and your wrist and getting making it nice and little like really making big strokes and and focusing on like the the general aspects of the shapes and that's something that um is still absolutely doable on the 9.7 inch but doesn't feel quite as natural as on the 12.9 where i feel like that is more of a canvas style opportunity This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. It is the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your website today at squarespace.com and enter offer code MPU at checkout to save 10% off your first purchase. I love Squarespace. I use it for all of my websites. I've used it for my personal website, katiefloyd.com, and I've used it for my new law practice website at floydlaw.net. Why? Simply because it has easy-to-use tools and templates. It helps you capture every detail of what is important to you. I love that Squarespace puts all the power you need right in your hands, and it takes away all the pain points. You don't have to worry about hosting. You don't have to worry about scaling. You don't have to worry about what happens when you get stuck. You don't have to worry about backend databases. You don't have to worry about backing up your website. Squarespace just takes care of everything and lets you build a professional-looking website, regardless of your design skill, with no coding required. You'll be easily able to make a website that looks and feels exactly how you want. And Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to help you power your site to ensure security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. Their site templates are stunning to look at, and this is where it all starts. They all feature responsive design. They make your site look great no matter what size of the device. But this is just getting started. You pick your template, and then they are endlessly customizable so that your site doesn't necessarily look like someone else's site who built with Squarespace. You can choose colors. You can choose layouts. uh, You can completely customize your site to your heart's desire. And they have Amazing features like 24-7 live chat and email support. So if you get stuck, there's always someone there to help. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and Portland who are always there to lend a hand. And if you want to sell things on your website, that used to require a whole different platform and lots of complicated things to set up, but not anymore. Squarespace just integrates it. They can allow anyone to easily add a store to their Squarespace site. And if you just need something simple, you can take a look at a Squarespace cover page. It's a single great one-page website that's easy to use and will get you up and running fast. And if you want to scratch Squarespace even further, you should check out their dev platform. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month, and you can start a free trial with no credit card required. So start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. Make sure you use offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. And thank you to Squarespace for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So what about your lonely Mac? Oh, my lonely Mac. Well, my lonely Mac is not so lonely right now because I'm working on it this very moment. Hi, iMac. Um, it's it's doing well. It hasn't been updated to Sierra yet because I've been too busy writing and posting articles about Sierra to update this this Mac. So that that's that's going to happen right after this phone call, actually. Do, do I want to ask how you've been writing and posting articles about Sierra without <laughs> a Mac updated to Sierra? There are other Macs in this household that are updated to Sierra. I have not I have not updated my my iMac though, which is very sad. Um so yeah, I um and also I I should say that the vast majority of our Mac content was um written and produced by Lori Gill, um who's one of our newer writers at iMore and she has just been absolutely slaying at at putting all that stuff together, so definitely go and read her stuff. Um 
but yeah, uh, my my Mac is doing pretty well. Uh, I'm still using it for quite a few things, including um, Trello, as I think I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, as well as podcasts. Um, podcasts on on iOS are doable, but kind of a pain. And until they become less of a pain, I am simply not really interested in working on them. Although I will say a, a potential portent for hopeful future um, on the iPhone, you can now record live photos and it won't pause your music which means that Apple has somehow figured like they're, they're working with core audio behind the scenes to make it so that there can be two simultaneous streams of, of receiving and, and recording. So I know that the feature, like the feature is clearly being worked on. Hopefully it will actually come to third party apps and things like Skype soon, please, please. Oh, please. (laughs) I hope so. I mean, there is a kind of a long rumor out there that there's going to be an update to iOS 10 that's going to be more productivity favoring for the iPad. And I would hope that's a problem that gets solved. It seems like it's a little problem for a small group. of. I'm sorry. It's a big problem for a small group of people. And as podcasters, we all feel it intensely. I mean, the on a daily basis. But that's but we are, you know, 0.1 percent of the iPad market right now. Maybe maybe 1 percent. Oh, that's probably a little too. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I, I I still use my Mac quite a bit, despite my iPad being the primary machine. For one thing, my iMac's at my standing desk, so it forces me to actually get up and uh, and move around and work. And especially, um, I've been doing a lot. I've been prepping our iPhone 7 photo comparisons and camera tests. And for those, I will say, there's still there is still no substitute to having finder windows available and open and multiple finder windows available and open simultaneously with Safari, with notes, with, you know, this is, this is the kind of task that the iMac handles so well, trying to label a a ridiculous number of photos. Photos for iOS doesn't even have metadata. You have to, you know, you have to get a, a third party app extension to show what camera it was taken with. So again, having the having the Mac and being able to just command I on a photograph to see what camera it was taken with, and so you can tag it appropriately, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, I really appreciate the Mac for. And I'll be honest, you know, as much as I love the iPad, I am really looking forward to potential new MacBooks. Like I, I really enjoy working on the iPad for writing. I enjoy working on the go for it, and the fact that it has a cellular chip means that and the and the battery life on that thing means that I can basically go anywhere and work at any time, which is pretty, pretty fast, like pretty great. Um, But all of that said, sometimes you need a Mac on the go. And when you need a Mac on the go, you really need a Mac on the go. I was really lucky to have uh, Renee's uh, MacBook Pro to edit our iPhone review because it was so many shots and, you know, so much different content that it would have been impossible to edit with iMovie for iOS until iMovie, you know, until they come out with Final Cut for iOS, it's just it's not going to happen. So being able to have a Mac for that shoot was really, really key and really important. Yeah, and it just depends what you do. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you need the Mac, then get one. It's yeah, it's not not hard. That's always been my feeling. It's like you know, you don't have to torture yourself doing something because like, oh, it's supposed to be the right thing to do, or oh, I said I was going to go iPad only. I believe in the right device for the right use case. You know, you use the you use your Mac when you need your Mac and you use iOS when it makes more sense for you to use iOS. Don't try and force either either to be the other thing. It's fine. They each fill distinct, wonderful places. I would never draw on my iMac again. 
because having the iPad Pro and the pencil is so much more freeing than having a Wacom tablet tethered. I just I I refuse to do it now. It's it's the trade off is completely in the iPad's favor. So what about the opposite of that? Where is the trade off completely in the Mac's favor for you? Oh god, uh, the actually the example that I just gave in terms of prepping prepping six hundred camera files. Um, while taking notes about each of those camera files and renaming them and organizing them and uploading them to our CMS in batch, there's still no way to batch upload from iCloud Drive with a Safari uploader. And that is one of the most infuriating things about um, about working with my photo workflow still to this point is that I have to upload one at a time. If I could do multiple uploads, a lot of my my fury would be a little bit diminished. Well, I would say batch everything on iOS is terrible. Yes, exactly. They don't. I mean, it was not built to be to to edit batch content, and that's something they're going to need, need to work on. Um, and a, f- a really competent video editor, I would really love to see that, especially considering how many more people are going to be shooting 4K video on the iPhone Seven. Has iMore covered the save to iCloud? I I call it a fiasco with with iOS 10. How so? The the save to iCloud dialog box is is horrendous if you have any number of folders in iCloud. Oh, yeah, 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 because it just kind of saves. Well, just a scrolling list forever. In fact, we should have talked about this on our iOS 10 show. When it was in the beta, I was like, they got to fix this at some point. Oh, it's so terrible. I really wish it had remembered folders, you know, where it's just save in the last folder that I visited. For, for Pete's sake. <laughs> or even just give me a disclosure triangle so I don't have to scroll through every single hierarchy. So you really want like default folder for iOS. I, I just want it to be a little bit smarter. I mean, and it's right now it's really dumb. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Pet issue here. I will move on. Um, w- what else is uh, is though still reigning supreme on your Mac these days? Oh, gosh. Um, podcasting. Um yeah, video editing, Trello, by uh, working with sort of organization cards. Uh, Google Hangouts is doable on uh, on an iOS device, but not great. And actually, the same goes true for Google Docs. It used to be that Google Docs was nigh impossible on the iPad, but at long last, they finally added Split View, um, which helped a lot uh, with a lot of my problems. But they're still... Google Docs, Google Sheets especially, is still so hamstrung on iOS, that especially without support for keyboard commands. Most of how I interact with iOS is via keyboard um, or via gesture, and to not support either of those is so frustrating. If three years ago I said, Serenity, uh, in three years from now, Microsoft and Google are going to have their Office products on the iPad, which one is going to be great and which one's going to be terrible? <laughs> Yeah, I would not. I would have not guessed the order in which it actually is. Yeah, it's crazy. So, Serenity, what's what's next? You know, we've had our our big Apple announcement. We've gotten the new iPhones. We haven't gotten the new Macs yet. I mean, hope, hopefully those are next. But um, wh- what's coming up at iMore? What's what's next for you? Um, what are you waiting on? What what do you think is the big thing left to to wrap out the year? And what do you want to see? I want new MacBook Pros. I have been waiting for them all year. I probably would have bought an, a Mac earlier in the year had I known it had been. It would have been slightly this long of a wait. <laughs> but I'm really, I'm really looking forward to the new MacBook Pros. I think they're going to be great. Um, I'm really excited based on kind of the little, the little feeds of information that we've heard 
Um, and that's I mean, that's pretty that's a good cap to this year. I don't think we're going to see iPad stuff until next year just because there's too much. There is too much. Um, Apple, you know, Apple released. Let's see. Two new versions of the Apple Watch, two new really series of the Apple Watch, uh, two new iPhones, a new version of tvOS, a new version of iOS, a new version of Mac OS, hopefully new MacBook Pros. Uh, it's been kind of a kind of a busy fall for them and kind of a busy fall for us. So I'm looking forward to kind of wrapping that all up. Um, I'm finishing I'm working on finishing my camera tests. Going to be doing a lot of watchOS 3 how-tos. I'm actually wearing two Apple Watches right now. I'm testing the Series 2 opposite the Series 0. Like one um, on each wrist? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm double. I am I am uh, Wonder Woman, you know, gauntleting my, I, my Apple Watches right now. And I've got a Series 1 that I need to test, too. So... We're going we're gonna to have some fun in the next couple days with that. Um, I'm speaking at the iBooks Author Conference in a couple weeks down in Nashville, and that should be a lot of fun. Uh, and then hopefully after that, no more travel. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a lot of fun with my devices here at home and focus on some cool holiday things, some more great how-tos, and figuring out, honestly, what, what new and crazy, wacky, creative thing that I can do. Well, I'll tell you, the, looking at the two watches together, I finally got to see them next to each other. The new one is so much brighter. It's really impressive. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. Well, Serenity, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We've missed you, but you've been busy. I don't know if you missed us. You've been so busy. <laughs> I have absolutely missed you. This was always, It's always a pleasure to talk to you, too. So, Serenity, tell people where they can find you, um, both uh, your writing and then uh, on social media and whatnot. Yeah, you can find me on imore.com. Uh, I am the managing editor there and I write and produce all kinds of great content as well as on Twitter and Instagram at Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N, um, where I've been posting a ton of pictures from my upcoming camera comparison. So if you're on the fence about iPhone 7, iPhone 7 Plus, uh, come give my timeline a gander and hopefully I can help you out in the right direction. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to Serenity for joining on the show. As always, we'll have links to the wonderful things that she talked about. Uh, lots of great app gems in here um, in the show notes, which you can find at our website at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, if you have comments or feedbacks that you want us to feature and uh, what are we calling it, David? MPU Live, MPU Plus? MPU Plus. Let's go with that. MPU Plus was by one of the popular suggestions. Uh, you can send that to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com or on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd and David is at Max Sparky. Thanks to our listeners this episode. That's going to be Smile, Squarespace, and Fracture. And we will see you all next time. Bye.